Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. All right, we've been working through this series starting out last week, Numbers 22 to 24. Now, just before we get started, I just want to share a couple of things. Uh, I shared last week a story about my son, Trey, and it wasn't the most positive story. And I feel like I'm making my son, Trey, out to be quite the little rascal. And he is a great kid uh, and so grateful for this boy. I mean, he did pee on my computer, but that's okay. That's replaceable. One of the joys that we've had is getting to parent him, and he's the first boy that we've had, and we've learned that boys are a little bit different than girls when they're growing up, and uh, especially when they're growing up. And uh, what a joy it's been with him. But I just want to share with you, so, so that happened, and I was pretty frustrated when that happened. But through that... It's been very interesting because I shared last week, I had the opportunity to then use, uh, you know, write out my notes. And then on Friday, I actually grabbed an old computer, but it was a bigger computer than what I'm used to. And I found afterwards, after all of my prep, my neck didn't hurt. I didn't have a headache. And I began to realize the reason why I get a headache every time I do sermon prep is because I'm staring at, I mean, I should have known this. But sometimes the Lord needs to use a boy doing something inappropriate to your computer to bring attention to something. I was, I was, I I use a 13 inch MacBook and it's so little, I find myself squinting and I couldn't see it well. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can work and it doesn't hurt. So through that, thank you, Trey. (laughs) I now am able to work and not have my eyes squinting. So I'm going to go to something bigger anyway. Just It's great how the, the way that the Lord works sometimes and brings attention to things that I really should have known ahead of time, but it took that before that would ever happen. And that actually plays really well into what we're going to be seeing here throughout this whole series and, and today as well. God is going to use a very unlikely character to draw attention to Balaam and the direction that he was going being a direction that he shouldn't have been going. And he should have known better. God told him flat out what to do, what not to do. And yet he needed a donkey to redirect him. And God uses that in this passage that we're looking at today. So this is a, this is a passage that uh, when Israel would have been reading this. The people of God would have been reading this. It would have been something they would have been laughing about on the way. This is a humorous story. This is a story, an account that we're going to be studying today, the rest of chapter 22, that is meant to put a smile on our face. And, but at the same time, as we look in the mirror to see that oftentimes we are no different than Balaam. I think we're going to see that as we work through this. And then kind of big picture at the end, at the end as we wrap it all up, we're going to learn some lessons along the way and then step back and say, now why is this passage in the Word of God? What is this for us? What, what is the Lord trying to say to us through this passage? So we're going to study through this together, starting in verse 7. If you missed last week, you missed a lot of background, and so I'd encourage you to go home, listen to last week's message. You can catch up, get some previous material from what we're going to look at today. But we're going to start today in verse 7 of chapter 22. We saw last week that Balak had uh, 
was filled with fear because God's people had camped out near him. And even though God had said, don't touch Moab, leave them alone, Balak, who was the king of Moab, was petrified. He was terrified. He had, he, it's very obvious God is at work among these people. It's very obvious based on the strength, on, on them overcoming other nations that are much smaller than them, even though they were uh, attacked themselves. So Balak looks on at Israel and sees this is a people that, that, that I know that we cannot defeat based on military strength alone. So Balak thinks, I need to up the, uh, up the element here. I, I need to get some spiritual help if I'm ever going to have a chance against a group of people where God is clearly on their side. And so he thinks, I am going to call on the most world-renowned Baru. Baru is like sorcerer. It's like uh, someone who is like a witch doctor, almost like that today. Someone who specialized in manipulating the gods. They didn't worship any one particular god, but they would work for or against any god as long as you gave them a paycheck. And he was known across the world internationally as one who was very good at manipulating the gods. And so this is a God manipulator. This is a God who Balak thinks, if I can get Balaam here to put a curse on Israel, then, then we'll have a chance against them. So that's where we left off last week. He sent some of his guys, or he's about to send some of his guys to Balaam to hire him to come and speak this word against Israel. Now, verse 7 says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, so those are two nations that have teamed together. You read a lot about the Midianites in the book of Judges. They were uh, very antagonistic to God's people. Now, they teamed up together with Moab here with the fees of divination in their hands. So they're going to go hire Balaam. They've got some money in their hands to pay him. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. Now, that's just kind of one sentence. Uh, there's not a lot of break in there. That, this would have been around a 10 to 14 day journey. So this is not like a short little John, I'm going to go next door and try to get Balaam on our side. This is people getting ready to camp out for 10 to 14 days to go call out Balaam and then 10 to 14 days to get back. So we're almost a month round trip just to get Balaam. So this is how bad he wanted Balaam on his side. So he gets to Balaam, gave him Balak's message, verse 8, and said to them, Lodge here tonight, and we'll bring back to you, bring word back to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Sounds like a good response, doesn't it? You know, can you help us with this? Israel's God is the Lord. If you look at in, in your Bibles, you see the Lord in verse 8 is all capitalized. That tells us that he's using the covenant name of God here, the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew when it's all in capitals like this. So, so clearly, as we saw last week, Balaam has some knowledge about who Israel's God is, even knows his covenant name is Yahweh. So he says, I am going to consult with my Lord. I'm going to consult with Yahweh, my God. Now, the question is, is he genuine when he says this? I am going to consult with Yahweh, my God. I want to share with you why I don't think he was genuine when he says this. And one of the reasons right here is in verse 9. It says, and God came to Balaam. Now, that's very subtle. 
But you notice the language that Balaam says, I'm going to consult the Lord, Yahweh. And who answered him? Not Yahweh. God answers him because he doesn't have a covenant relationship with the Lord. So he's, the Lord is not going to respond in his covenant name. This is a, uh, something the writer is using to tell us. This is something that Balaam is doing just to say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to consult that God, the God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. I'm going to consult him. And he's trying to play games with them. He's trying to make them think that he has an in with this particular God. So he says, the Lord, my God, even though he doesn't mean that. So God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Do you think God didn't know? What's he saying when he says that? Who are these men with you? He's saying, why are you entertaining these men? Why are you even entertaining this as a thought? Now, uh, Balaam likely would have done this a lot. He was very good at what he did. He was a manipulator of the gods. And so I don't think for a second that he thought when he was going to go consult the Lord my God, that the Lord my God was going to respond back. I think many times he would have done this and, and played up this whole little spiel. I'm going to consult, I'm going to consult Baal. I'm going to consult this God. I'm going to consult that God. And he just would have made up stories as to what came up afterwards. And yet here, he wants to make it sound like he knows the Lord, his God. And I don't think, though, he expected the Lord. And most commentaries, I'll actually say this as well, don't think he actually was expecting the Lord to answer him like this. He's going to soon realize that there is one God he is not able to manipulate. And we're going to see that unfold as we go on. God said to Balaam, don't go with them. You shall not. So I jumped ahead. Who are these men with you? Verse 10. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he has sent me, saying, Behold, the people has come up out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. What does that sound like if you were here last week? Sounds like the Abrahamic covenant again. And so here's God's people reading this later on, seeing, coming to fruition, exactly what God had promised. God promised Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Your descendants will cover the face of the earth. It will be like sand on the seashore. And we are seeing through the mouth of, of, of Balak here, again, this reminder that God is bringing what he has promised to fruition. Covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. So he knows he needs spiritual help. Verse 12, God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Now does it get much more clear than that? Well, sound like almost 10 commandments, don't they? You shall not do this. You shall not do this. Balaam comes to the Lord, says, hey, I want to go put a curse on these people because the paycheck is going to be big. And the Lord says, you shall not do this. Now, notice he says why. Why does he say this? You shall not do this. You shall not do this for what? For they are blessed. In other words, you shall not do this for you have no power to curse them. You shall not do this for you're just going to be wasting your time. It's not like God is saying, hey, you shall not do this because I don't want you to get paid. I don't want you to have fun. I, he says that you shall not do this because it's going to be a waste of your time. You're not going to be able to do it. 
how often we think that God's commands or God's laws are that which are trying to strip us out of having fun. And yet God so often gives us these commands so that we can experience fun, so we can experience life to the fullest. And he gives us these parameters, not because he's trying to rob us of joy, but because he knows what's best for us. And it's the same thing he does to Balaam here. Says to Balaam, don't even bother doing it. They are blessed. You are going to waste your time in doing this. Save yourself the hassle. Save yourself the trouble. Don't do it. They are blessed. You can't curse them. You shall not. It's pretty clear. Kids get much more clear than that. You shall not do this. You shall not go. So Balaam rose in the morning, said to the princes of Balak, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused me to let me go with you. It's kind of like a kid who says to their friend, I'm sorry, my mom is not letting me come and play. The Lord is not letting me go. Now, do you notice he doesn't explain why? He just says the Lord's not letting me go. Balaam still hasn't gotten the message. Balaam is, is not going to tell them why, because if he tells them why, the, the paycheck's not going to get any bigger. So Balaam still thinks he can manipulate God. He still thinks there's more that he can do that will enable him to go and do what he wants to do because he is a man who we read throughout. The other seven books of the Bible that reference him is driven by greed. He's driven by greed. He's driven by refusing to obey the Lord because he wants personal gain out of it. And so Balaam thinks, you know, this is not over yet. I'm going to just play some more games with them. Even though it's true what the Lord had said, he doesn't believe it yet. And so he doesn't tell them why he can't go. He just says, hey, my mom's not letting me come to play. Listen, I can't go and do this. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and 10 to 14 day journey back and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. This is a game that negotiators play. I can't stand those games. You know, salesmen, you, you, it's not that I can't stand, I, I, salesmen are fine. It's when they start doing these tactics. You know, when you're buying a car and you're like, you know, I'll give you this much for it. Like, no, no. And then you got to be like, okay, I got to walk away. And then as you're walking away, then they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. All those games that salespeople play, I don't like those games at all. Balaam likes those games. He's playing these games. Balak knows he's playing these games. So Balak is going to up, up his game just a little bit to try to convince Balaam to go. Balaam, everyone knows, is driven by money. He's driven by getting that paycheck. He probably was one of those guys who was wealthy and people knew it because he was good at what he did. Now, verse 15 says, once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. So Balak thinks, okay, I'm going to send more important people. And we're going to see later, he calls them princes. So it's possible it was his own sons that went to go bring this message. He says, well, maybe those people weren't important enough. I'm going to send more important people now. And they came to Balaam and they said to him, another 10 to 14 days, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you a great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. I mean, he's speaking right into Balaam's language. Come do this, and I'm going to show you great honor. Here's a blank check I'm going to lay before you. You write whatever you want on it. I will give it to you. It's a picture of a king who is absolutely terrified. He is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what he's going to do. If he doesn't get Balaam's help, he knows he's as good as dead. He thinks by getting Balaam's help, he has a chance. 
So this terrified king goes to great lengths and says, Balaam, please come, help us. I will give you anything if you come. Verse 18, but Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now again, that sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like a good response for someone to make. I want you to just skip ahead quick to, to and we're going to come back to this, but to Second Peter, because I, I want us to, you have to understand there's more to this story than what we read about here. And the rest of the scriptures help us see this. So Second Peter 2, verse 15, Peter references Balaam and describes the way of Balaam. And that helps us shed light into maybe some of the motivations for why Balaam was acting the way that he did. Now, in 2 Peter 2, Peter's dealing with false teachers, false prophets, and he uses Balaam as an example here. This is not on the screen, so if you have your Bibles in front, just kind of follow along. Verse 15, this is what Peter says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now that's a little teaser for what we are going to see. But what do you see here? The way of Balaam is referenced here. And so the way of Balaam is a way that is driven by doing whatever he wants for own personal gain. So ignoring God's word. This is the way of Balaam. Ignoring God's word for personal gain. Ignoring God's word because you're driven by greed, because you're driven by pleasure, because you're driven by something that you want. And so you know what God's word says, but you choose to ignore it. Balaam is that classic example of someone who has access to the truth, but who refuses to obey it because he's driven by personal gain. He thinks that by following the way of God, he's not going to get that paycheck in the end, and he wants that paycheck. So that's shedding light into, when he, when he says this, he, he is playing games. This is, the, this is the salesman approach, playing games. Like, and and here's, how, here's, how, here's why I would say that as well, because when Balak sends his, his princes to Balaam, he says nothing about houses of silver and gold, and yet Balaam says, you know, even if you were to give me houses of silver and gold, it's like, hint, hint. Then maybe, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to go against him, but, you know, maybe I can. That's the idea of Balaam here. Verse 19. And here's how we see, again, why this is the case. Verse 19. So you too, please stay here tonight. He's playing the game. This is not, so guys, get out of here. There's nothing I can do. It's, look at, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. As if, no, case is not closed yet. Why don't you stay here tonight? And then I'll consult the Lord again. And I'll see if he changes his mind. Even though he's already said, you shall not do this. You shall not do this for they are blessed. He's like, well, you know what? Why don't you stay here? He's driven by this paycheck. He's driven by this house of silver and gold. Look at verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if 
I have that if circled in my Bible. If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with the princes of Moab. Why did I circle that if? The Lord gives him a condition. The Lord says, if they come to you and ask to go again, then fine, go with them. God gives him the freedom to be disobedient, just like he gives us that same freedom. He gives Balaam the freedom. Listen, if they come and ask you again, go. And it says, so Balaam got everything ready and went. There's no indication at all that they asked him again. He just took that conditional statement and made it an absolute statement. Now, just imagine for a second, you are an employer, you hire someone, you say, if you work this day, eight hours, I will pay you at the end of the day. And that employee comes to you at five o'clock and says, all right, give me my paycheck. Even though he went home all day, did no work. All right, give me the paycheck. You said, I will pay you. The employer put a condition on that, right? If you work all day, I will pay you. Balaam removes the condition, takes that which is conditional, and makes it that which is absolute. If you are married, then enjoy yourself in sexual pleasure with your spouse. You take out the if you're married part, you take out that if that condition that the Lord has put on that. Now you're moving to a realm of being disobedient because you've removed the condition. You've turned something that was conditional into something that was absolute. And that's the way of Balaam here. He just gets up and he goes. Now, it also says, but there's kind of a second condition. It says, only do what I tell you to do. So you can go, but you need to do only what I tell you to do. And the very next line in verse 22 says, but God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his, as his adversary. That's a, that's a scary word when it's tied to the God of the heavens and the earth who speaks and things are created. You don't want him to be your adversary. But the question is, why is God angry here at him? God just said he could go. But he went without meeting the condition and for 10 to 14 days, he has this journey where he's now starting to think through, okay, how can I manipulate this God? How could I still at the end of the day get this paycheck? Because he knows if he's actually obedient to what the Lord is saying, well, there's no point in going to Balak because he's not going to be able to do what Balak's asking him to do anyway. He's not going to get paid anyway. And so by the fact that he goes, is telling us he's scheming in his mind, how can I still get this paycheck? How can I still be disobedient to what God, the, the Lord is telling me to do? He's scheming along the way. And so this is why the Lord is angry at this. We cannot fool the Lord. So often we think we can manipulate him. So often we can, we can play games with God. And yet we see front and center here. We just simply cannot do it. God knows our thoughts. He knows when you are praying if you actually mean what you are praying. He knows the motivation in your heart for everything that you do. You cannot play games with God, and Balaam is going to learn that. That there are many gods he can manipulate, but this is one. The one true God is the God that he has no power over. 
God's anger was kindled. Now, now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. Verse 23, and the donkey saw, it's going to be repeated, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the road, went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Now, lots going on there. Balaam was a Baru, a Mesopotamian Baru. What a Baru was also called was a seer. So he was a Mesopotamia seer. And yet here we are seeing even this powerful pagan seer cannot see what his donkey can see. And I'm going to refrain from using the King James translation of donkey in this sermon. I just, I'm not going to go there. But his donkey can see what he cannot see. On top of that, we're going to see this powerful man who is unable to control his humble donkey. God is going to bring some humility into Balaam's life or at least work in such a way where he should learn humility in the process. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. He could see what this powerful seer could not see. He turned aside and Balaam struck the donkey. The donkey who's trying to help him is the one who he strikes. Balaam in the position of power strikes the one who is trying to help him. How often do you hear that in the world? Someone in a place of power striking those who are trying to help them, who are trying to save them, abusing your power to hurt those who are actually trying to help you. And then he, he strikes him to the point where, you know, the donkey tries to take Balaam off the road, tries to protect Balaam, tries to move him another way because he shouldn't be on that road. And yet Balaam beats him until, or her, should say the donkey is a female, beats her until she comes back on the road and continues on in the way of Balaam. Beats her until he does, until she does what he wants her to do. Then verse 24, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. So notice it's getting a little bit narrow. So there, first there's, a, uh, there's the way, but then there's field beside it. So it goes to the field. Now there's a way, but there's walls close on either side. Stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall, pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. So again, the donkey trying to help. The path is getting narrower. The Lord is trying to get his attention. Hey, you're, you shouldn't be going this way. And first he gives a kind of a wide road. Now it's getting a little bit more narrow to say, hey, are you not getting this yet? How often we need the same kind of thing where the road that we are on needs to get narrower and narrower and narrower until we learn our lesson. And the Lord in his grace does this to us. The Lord could have just very easily just struck Balaam dead at any time but instead invites him to repent, instead causes the conditions to be in such a way that, that he should be learning this lesson and it's getting harder and harder for him not to learn this lesson. Verse 25, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, oh, sorry, I read that one already. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. There's nowhere else for the donkey to go, so the donkey lays down under Balaam. Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. 
Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. That is meant to put a smile on your face. Like, what? What is also meant to put a smile on your face is the way that Balaam responds. Let's look at this. The, the, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, now I have no idea what her voice sounded like. It would be fun to try to guess what her voice sounded like. I am not even going to attempt that. You can attempt that in your head. What did the donkey sound like when she said, if I can find the place where she talked, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, why are you talking? (laughs) That's what you would think would be said. But Balaam responds like this is just an everyday occurrence for him. Just does he have these conversations? And I know we kind of laugh at this, but how many of you talk to your dogs? How many of your dogs have spoken back in a human language? (laughs) I would love to hear it if they did. That would be fascinating. Keep losing my place. Thank you. 29. And Balaam said to the donkey, that's right, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand and then I would kill you. So notice the motivation for him wanting to kill the donkey. You're making a fool of me. I have these princes with me. I am a powerful Baru. I'm a powerful man. And you are showing them that I have no control over this humble donkey. If I can't control a humble donkey, how am I going to Have any power against the God of Israel. You're making a fool of me. You're embarrassing me. And this is why he lashes out, because he's embarrassed. How often we do the same thing. The responses that we have, when we get embarrassed, we lash out in anger. We have to learn from Balaam here. The donkey said to Balaam, verse 30, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he says, no. It's like he just kind of shuts up Balaam. The donkey is able to articulate in such a way like reason. The donkey is reasoning with this powerful Baru. Have I ever done this before? Like, think about this, Balaam. Like, you imagine your kid coming to you, like a four-year-old, my son Trey, coming to me and said, Dad, think about this. Why are you doing that? Seems like something I should already know. I shouldn't have to learn from a four-year-old. This is something Balaam should already know. He shouldn't have to learn this from a donkey. Yet the donkey is using more logic than Balaam. Have I ever steered you wrong before? Well, no. Then that should indicate something, should it not? And that's what it goes into next. Verse 31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down and fell on his face. The same thing as donkey had just done, he had just done. He bowed down, fell on his face to this angel because angels do not look like precious moments angels. When you see an angel, you see a terrifying creature. Anytime someone sees an angel, they are terrified. The first words out of the angel's mouth is, do not be afraid because they are so terrifying. And 
We saw already when we went through communion, we talked about that story, uh, but with, with Sennacherib, Sennacherib's army is a Syrian army of 185,000 people against Hezekiah. Hezekiah knows he's as good as dead, so he gets on his knees, cries out to God. Isaiah comes, they cry out to God, and then that night, an angel, one angel, destroys 185,000 troops. That's the power of one angel. So when you come to an angel, you would be absolutely terrified at seeing this angel. So he falls down on his face. He does what his donkey did before. He's finally learning something from his donkey. Verse 32, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Now, I find that very interesting. That the first words out of the angel's mouth to Balaam is, why are you hitting your donkey? Not, what are you doing? Why are you going this way? But why are you hitting your donkey? I think that should tell us something about, understandably so, I'm not, I want to go on this bunny trail by any means, but understandably so, that human beings are created in God's image. But we should be treating animals well. This is the first thing he says to Balaam. Why are you hitting your donkey? And then goes on. It says, Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse or your way is reckless before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. So what he learns now is this donkey of his, who he wanted to beat, who he did beat several times, was actually a donkey that saved his life. For Balaam, it's a donkey that saves his life. For us, it's one who's riding on a donkey who has come into Jerusalem and has died for us on the cross, giving us salvation. For Balaam here, the donkey saves his life. If it wasn't for that donkey, I would have killed you right then, right now. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, verse 34, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Thou, now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. To which you say, if it is evil in your sight, I'll turn back. You think the first response would be, okay, okay, I'm going back. I get the picture. But now he's like, well, you know what? If it's evil, I will turn back. Now, also interesting about that statement is, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the road. I have sinned, but... It's not really my fault. I didn't see the angel. How often have you apologized to someone else but used a but in there? I have sinned against you. I am sorry, but you really made me angry. But, you know, it was kind of your fault why I acted that way. Is that an apology? I am sorry, but it wasn't really my fault. I didn't see the angel. You didn't open my eyes, God. So ultimately, who is he blaming? God. That's right, Derek. Ultimately, he's saying, well, you didn't open my eyes to let me see her, so it's your fault, God. Balaam, the way is perverse. Balaam, the one who is driven by greed, he's on the journey. He gets hurt along the way by his donkey who squeezes him against a wall. Should have been struck dead. He's going this way that he, know, he, he really should know better. He shouldn't be going on it. And yet when he finally gets rebuked, he's like, well, it's not my fault. You didn't help me. You've got to be kidding me, Balaam. Getting a picture of the heart of Balaam here. 
a heart that desperately needs transformation, but a heart that is blinded by his greed, blinded by his own desire for personal gain. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, verse 35, go with the man, but only speak the word I tell you. So there's another condition again. Only speak the word I'm going to tell you. It's like he knows he's going to go anyway. So he's like, listen, go, but only speak the word that I tell you. And you got to know Balaam is still scheming the whole time. How can I still get that paycheck? So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Verse 36, when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went to meet him. The city of Moab at the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? It's like, what took you so long? Why were you resisting? Am I not able? Do you not think that I can give you the riches that you want? Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth is that which I must speak. He's still playing games with Balak. It sounds genuine, but we know the way of Balaam is the way of that which is perverse. It's that which is driven by personal gain. So he's still thinking he's going to be able to manipulate the gods or to manipulate Yahweh. Verse 39, then Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kiriath Herzoth. Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep. So Balaam had some understanding of Abraham's God living from that same area. He's like, well, Yahweh likes sacrifices, so why don't you go sacrifice some of these things? And sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. Baal. Baal is probably how you would recognize it. And from there... He saw a fraction of the people. So again, here Balak now, the stage is set. We're going to look at chapter 23 next week. The stage now is set. Balak brings Balaam to, uh, literally says like the high places, this mountain. And Baal was the god of this particular area. So brings them to the mountain named after their god. And it was believed, and we're going to see this because we're going to see the moving locations next week as well. But it was believed that the higher you could get, the closer you were to the gods and therefore the more power that you had. So that's why they come to these high places and overlook the people. Now look at how many people there are. A fulfillment of Genesis 12, again, front and center. He could only see a fraction of the people. He gets to an extremely high place. He looks down. There's so many people like sand on the seashore, he can't even see them all. We're seeing the Lord who is one, who is fulfilling the promise that he said he would do. So some good lessons along the way. This passage isn't in there for each one of those lessons, though I think we can learn from it. I think if we step back and say, well, why, why is this in the text? Why is this here for us? And I want to encourage two reasons here that, that, that this is here. The, the first one is this, and this is maybe a reminder that there's some people here need to hear. Well, stop playing games with God. This is what we learned from Balaam. It doesn't pay to pay, play games with God. You can't play games with God. God is not some kind of genie in the bottle that you can get him to do what you want. Sometimes God, as our loving father, redirects us. Some God, sometimes our God, as a loving father, overrules decisions that we make. We think it's best to go one way. The Lord says, listen to me. My plan is better than yours. 
follow my path and you will know life to the fullest. So let's stop playing these games. Let's stop thinking that we can somehow manipulate God. Here's some of the games that I think sometimes we play with God. One game that I hear so often is redefining terms. We hear the same thing uh, when, when Jesus is asked, well, who is my neighbor? The scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he was asked, well, who is my neighbor? He was playing games, right? He's trying to get Jesus to say, well, my neighbor is only my Jewish friends. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to say, everyone is your neighbor. And yet we have this, this playing games with God. Well, yes, God's word says, love your neighbor. But what does neighbor really mean? And we play games so that we don't have to be disobedient to that. So we can hold on to grudges against other people who we should be loving, who we should be acting like a good Samaritan towards. We, we redefine terms. Another a game that we play is what we see with Balaam here, and that's blaming others in God. That goes back to the very beginning. Adam says to God, well, it was this woman you gave me. Blames the woman, he blames God for giving him this woman. We blame others. We, we, we convince ourselves it's not really my fault. Yes, I've fallen into sin, but it's not really my fault. I couldn't help it, or I can't get out of this. And we convince ourselves of these truths. And, and when we justify ourselves because we say, well, it's not my fault, it's this person's fault. I am harboring unforgiveness. I'm harboring bitterness towards someone else, but it's their fault because of what they did for me. When Jesus says we're invited to take that first step, that we forgive not seven times, but seven times something, 77 times. We have an attitude that never stops forgiving, and yet we so often, we, we blame others for our disobedience. The same thing Balaam does here. Another game that we love to play is questioning the teaching of God's word. I know it says this, but, but surely God's okay if I do this. I know the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked but if I am, maybe I can win that person for Jesus. I'm telling you right now, it very, very, very rarely works out. I know God's word says, have sex after you're married, not before marriage. That that's reserved for husband and wife. But... You know, you look at a lot of these relationship experts and they'll say, you know, try before you buy. They'll say, you know, listen, it's better off if you try it out first. Make sure you're compatible there. Well, how's that working out for the world? So often we're questioning the teaching of God's word and we try to take that which is kind of earthly wisdom and we try to apply it to it to justify our disobedience. Another game we play is doing what God says, but with the wrong motives. So sometimes we will, we will, we'll, you know, listen, we can't fool God, but we'll do things for public recognition, not really with a heart that's after the Lord. Well, Lord, you said for me to be generous. You said for me to do this, so I'm doing it, even though your heart behind it is not to bring glory to God, but to bring attention to yourself. The same thing Ananias and Sapphira did when they were playing games with God. Hey, we're going we're gonna to tell everyone we're giving everything we have, even though we're going to keep some for ourselves. 
And the result for them was absolutely devastating. You cannot play games with God. Don't even bother trying. And then the last game that we love to play with God is delayed, obe delayed obedience. How often have you heard it said, I know I'm on the wrong path right now, but when I'm a little bit older, I'll come back to God. I know that what I'm doing right now is something I should not be doing, but maybe when I'm older, I'll get my life together and I'll come back to church. I'll come back to Jesus. The response in the scriptures to that kind of attitude is, you're being absolutely foolish. This night that you live could be the very last night that you live on this earth. Delayed obedience is a game that we so often play with the Lord that gets us into so much trouble. It's foolish. I know Jesus says to get baptized. I'll do that maybe later. It's the first step that we're invited to take. If you come to faith in Jesus, how do you let the world know? You get baptized. And yet so often we think, well, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till I'm, I'm going to wait longer. Listen, if you're not baptized and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're living in disobedience to Jesus. And that sounds harsh, and I understand completely. And this is the rationale that we use as well, is, well, you know what? The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and he went to paradise with Jesus that day. Well, do you not think that maybe if he had the opportunity to be baptized, he may have been baptized? He didn't really have that opportunity, did he? And yet time and time again, you have the opportunity, and yet you continue to delay the obedience. I'm not saying that because I want a whole service of baptisms on this upcoming Sunday, but I say this because I long for you to experience the blessings of obedience, of following Jesus and doing what he says. Let's stop playing games with God. And then the second point that I want to see out of this, and it comes from the title of our series, If God is for us, who can be against us? This is all through this series that we are going to see. And you notice the repetition in the passage we read today. I can only say what the Lord says I can say. I can only do what the Lord says I can do. He's saying it in jest, but it's truth. God is still on his throne. God is in control, even if we think he's losing control. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series and work through this series at this time, because we can look out in the world, and, and sometimes you can hear this kind of defeatist attitude of, of, well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing we can do about it. We're just going to pray and wait for the Lord to return. And it doesn't usually come out straight like that, but it's said in a roundabout kind of way. And here's what we do not have to be afraid in this passage is going to remind us of that time and time again, that if God is for us, no one can be against us, that God is in control. He is still on his throne all throughout the COVID pandemic. He never once left his throne. And he is still at work drawing people to himself. He's still at work wanting to use his church for the good news of Jesus Christ and making much of Jesus. So we can see again here today, be reminded of this again today. Your world may be falling apart. You may be experiencing great pain in your relationships. You may be suffering through cancer. In all of that, even when we don't understand, 
we can still trust him. And we can still look to him. And it's this reminder, Balaam here is trying, is thinking he can manipulate God. And yet what he doesn't have is this understanding that God is so much not like us. He is not just a perfect version of you, but he is so other us. That's why the scriptures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. That word almighty means complete control. He has full control. There's never anything that happens in this world that he does not allow. And that is something we struggle through. But at the same time, we take rest in, we take hope in, knowing that no one can keep God from doing what he said he's going to do. What he says he is going to do, he will do. And so I pray through this series and today, as you leave today, you go, you come away with this fresh awareness of who God is, that he is so big. My God is so big, there's nothing my God cannot do. We sing that as a kid, but we can learn from that kid's song to have faith like a child, to have faith that says, you know, my world is falling apart, but my God is so big. I am going to trust him. There is nothing he cannot do. What he said he will do, he will do. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we leave today with a heart of worship toward him. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful again as we come to your word. We're so grateful for your word that speaks life to us, that your spirit uses your word to guide us, to bring conviction in our lives, but also to encourage us where that is needed. Father, we are so grateful for this story. As strange as it is, this story that reminds us that that you have not left your throne that in the midst of everything that is happening in this world, that you know what you're doing. And even if we can't see, we can trust you. And thank you for that truth. And I pray we would live in that truth, that that truth would lead us to live boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, making much of him in every area of our lives. May we be bold. May we be courageous knowing that you are on our side and that if you are for us, there's no one who can be against us. We thank you for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.